And we're in the middle of a series. We're at the end of the series. Actually, we wrap up tonight called The Thrill of Hope. And tonight's message is Hope Wins. You know that the internet is currently flooded. I looked and I found it. The internet's currently flooded with articles and tips and how-tos on surviving the holidays with your relatives. It's, to, it's totally true on how not to fight or how to stay out of arguments, how to not be so stressed, how to avoid conflict, how to keep your mental health during the holidays. Isn't that hilarious that it's become as much of a Christmas tradition fighting and stressing out and, and, and getting into arguments with relatives as it is decorating the tree and eating together and opening presents. It's just part of it. They say that stress increases dramatically during the holidays. Depression increases dramatically during the holidays. That the mental health industry is overwhelmed during the holidays because it is so hard for us to go into the battles that we have to go into to be around family and friends and coworkers and parties and all the things that we do. And I feel like maybe I'm getting your hopes up that what I'm going to talk about tonight is going to help you get through that. And I don't have anything for you. <laughs> uh, well, I, I do actually is here it is. Suck it up, have a few more drinks and get through it like the rest of us do. Okay, so there's your... There's your, because nothing I'm going to be able to do is going to keep your dad from bringing up politics as soon as everybody sits down for dinner, right? N nothing's going to help your mom not scold your kids for having a cookie too close to dinner because it's going to ruin their appetite, right? Um, and then your kids are miserable and mad. And uh, nothing's going to stop your uncle from loudly sharing his opinion on what he thinks about stores saying happy holidays instead of Merry Christmas. I can't help you with any of that. But I will tell you this, that there are bigger battles that I want to help equip you for. There's a, there, there, I'm, I'm, I'm so glad you're with me on this. It's going to make my job so much easier. Uh, there is a much more important, because I'm not telling you that the things that we go through aren't significant and they're not meaningful, because they are. I'm not telling you that the, the fights that we get into and the battles that we have to endure during this time of the season aren't something that takes a toll on us because they do. What I'm telling you is that they are small in comparison to the battle that you'll carry on well beyond the holidays, and that is the battle between hope and hopelessness in your life. Let me say that again. The battle that you're going to continue to fight in your life is the difference between allowing and letting hope win and letting hopelessness win in your life. There's hope and there's darkness. There's the light of hope in your life and there is the, the overwhelming smothering cloud of desperation that settles into each of our lives if we let it. And I want you to hear this. It is just that easy. It's the battle of letting. Because whichever one we let into our hearts and into our minds, whichever one we let happen when we're in the most difficult times and the most uh, difficult circumstances and we're up against the biggest challenges in our life and we're facing the economy that we're facing and the politics that we're facing and the people that we're facing and the broken relationships and the health and all that piles on week after week after week. It is easy to let 
the despair and darkness and pain of hopelessness, find a place in our life, set up camp and begin to take over every thought, every decision, everything we feel, and then eventually how we begin to see the world. Because it can begin to look more divided and darker, gloomier, and more hopeless than it ever has before. We certainly are in a different era of politics than we've ever been before. Following the pandemic, it feels like the world will never go back to what it once was, and that makes everybody feel unsettled and uncertain, and maybe even hopeless. And we can let ourselves begin to see the future in a way that we are not meant to see it, especially as those who claim to be followers and believers in Jesus Christ. And so I want to share three quick things with you on how to let hope win in your life. So we have an app. You probably don't have time to download that right now, but in your notes, you've got something you can follow along with. And uh, if you don't want to do that, you're not a type A personality like me where you have to fill in the blanks, right? My life is not complete unless I do that. So if you're not like me, you can actually catch this later online and the notes will be downloaded. To win the battle of letting, to let hope win, to win the battle of letting, all you need to do is, number one, let hope surprise you. Let hope surprise you. So I know everybody's got their different Christmas traditions. Some of you will open some presents tonight. I heard somebody tell me this afternoon that, uh, that they did their Christmas morning today because uh, they're not able to have everybody gathered together tomorrow morning. And so maybe you did some of that. And some of you might have, you're, you're allowed to open one present on Christmas Eve and then the rest of the presents on Christmas morning. Wh whatever it is, when you're gathered, and especially when there's little kids there. I have three boys. They're all adults now. But they're very, very angry at me and Lisa if we bring the presents down early and put them under the tree. They still insist on us cluttering my office and our bedroom and leaving them where we trip over them so that there's some magical moment of bringing them down at midnight on Christmas Eve. So I have to stay up late so that they can feel... Now, mind you, they're all adults, right? And should... But... We still have to do that because, listen, we all love the magic of not knowing what we're opening, of tearing into that gift. And especially, we love seeing our kids peel open that wrapping paper and their face light up and they get excited because there was a surprise for a moment. They just could not wait to tear in and find out what was underneath the wrapping paper. And I'll tell you that hope works very much like that. That the real magic of hope is not insisting on already knowing what's to come, but being surprised by how magical hope can really be. Let me read a passage to you from Luke 2, 8 through 12. It's in your notes. It's right here on the screen. There were shepherds living out in the fields nearby. They were sheep herders, 24-hour shifts, right? It was night, and they were taking care of their sheep. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. So things are taking a dr dramatic turn, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, which means bright, glorious light. They were terrified, as any normal person would be, but the angel said to them, don't be afraid, I bring you good news. 
It will bring great joy for all the people today in the town of David. A Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Here is uh, how you will know I am telling you the truth. I'm going to give you a sign. This is what you're going to find. You will find a baby, and it will be wrapped in strips of cloth and lying in a manger. So let's just kind of, I want you to hear this from the perspective of, as if you've never heard that story before, as if you've never seen the Charlie Brown special, as if you've never seen two cute kids read it out loud to you, as if you've never seen a school play or a church play where they've got bath towels on their heads and and an Adidas headband and they're supposed to look like shepherds, right? Because that's what shepherds wore back then. Pretend like you've never heard that story and imagine yourself there where you're doing your job and this angelic presence so bright and so overwhelming appears to you, begins to speak to you in, in a force and a volume you've never heard before and you're terrified. But the angel says, like, surprise, and you vacate your bowels and your bladder and he says, oh, Gosh, sorry, I should have come in a little softer. I should have turned the light up a little slower, but I don't want you to be afraid. He says, what I'm about to tell you is going to change your life. It's going to change the world. It's going to change everything you've ever imagined. But then he begins to say this. You're going to know that the Messiah has been born because you're going to find a baby, and you're going to find the baby wrapped in torn pieces of cloth. And listen, the baby's going to be lying in a feed trough where the animals that you take care of eat feels like a surprising way for the Messiah to come into the world. One in which I think maybe even the shepherds were like, hmm, this feels like a big production for a baby who's wrapped in, let me put it in contemporary terms for you, this would be like an angel appearing to you at work, you and your co-workers have this dramatic experience, and he says, the angel Go to downtown Sacramento, go under the bridge where the the, the homeless tent village is, and in one of those tents, you're going to find a baby wrapped in a dirty, torn sleeping bag, sleeping inside a shopping cart. And you think, that doesn't sound right. Because you've got a prescribed notion of what you think maybe the Messiah should look like and how the Messiah should come into the world. But here's what the shepherds did, and I love their response to it. Luke 2.16 says this, So they went running, and they found Mary and Joseph, and there was the baby lying in the feeding box. They went running. I love that they ran. I love that they just went, okay, sounds good. Doesn't make any sense, but we are excited. It was like you get to unwrap the Savior of the world. And they found not just Jesus there, but Joseph and Mary. Mary was this teenage, not even yet married girl who had conceived of the Holy Spirit and with her, her fiance, who's struggling to wrap his head around all of this. And Mary herself had to go through this same kind of processing. And listen to what it says in Luke 1, 28 through 34. Gabriel appeared to her. Gabriel, the archangel, appeared to her and said, congratulations, favored lady. The Lord's with you. Confused and disturbed. Angels really got to Take, take it easy, because this seems to be the natural reaction of people when angels show up. Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be frightened, Mary. 
The angel told her, for God has decided to wonderfully bless you. Very soon now you will become pregnant and have a baby boy and you are to name him Jesus. He shall be great and shall be called the Son of God and the Lord God shall give him the throne of his ancestor David and he shall reign over Israel forever. His kingdom shall never end. And then Mary asked the angel, but how can I have a baby if I'm a virgin? Again, this is where nothing seems to make sense. The angel says, I'm giving you hope. You are going to be the mother of the Savior of the world. The the joy is going to come into the world through you. God has shown favor on you. And Mary's frightened by it because listen to what happens when we encounter something that we don't think it should be that way. And I want you to keep your hearts and minds open to the idea that hope, real hope is going to surprise you every time. Real hope is going to scare you because it's going to be bigger than you. It's going to require that you follow something other than your emotions, other than your logic, other than your thoughts. Hope is always going to come through a messenger outside of you. God is going to speak hope into your life just as he did with the shepherds and just as he did with Mary. And listen to what it says in Luke 138. Mary said, I am the Lord's servant and I'm willing to do whatever he wants. May everything you said come true, and then the angel disappeared. I can't think of a better response than running to the plan of God. If God lays out hope in front of you, even if it seems scary, even if it seems a surprise and unpredictable, run into it, and hope wins that way. Number two is this, and don't worry, they won't all be this long. Number two is, to, let the battle of, uh, to win the battle of letting, I need to let hope grow. Let hope grow in you. If you want to win the battle of letting hope grow, when let hope grow in you. Now, I want to be careful not to mislead you that just being introduced to, um, and by the way, guys, I don't have a, a clock. It's, uh, I'm showing no signal. So that's dangerous, dangerous, dangerous if I don't have a clock. Um, so everybody's holding up their cell phone, showing me right now what time it is. Um, I don't want to mislead you into believing just because you meet Jesus, just because you know what Jesus looks like, or just because you know the Christmas story, you've heard the story, you know who Jesus is, that all of a sudden hope has um, uh, taken seed in your life and hope's growing in your life because it simply doesn't work that way. Anything that um, is good has to have time and space to grow. Any seed that gets planted has to have time and space to grow. And that's what really occurs in Mary's life. Listen to Luke 2.19. She gets this, oh, we're, we're crashing all over the place. Oh, man, we got screens? Okay, I'll read it to you. It says this, but Mary kept all these things in her heart like a secret treasure. She thought about them over and over again. Listen, the shepherds, they processed meeting Jesus in a way that you might expect them to. They ran and they, they, they were high-fiving people and they were jumping around and they were anybody that would listen, they would tell the story to. And they said, <laughs> wasn't that dramatic? That was amazing. And they said, we've met the Savior of the world. And people were amazed at the story they told, but it says that Mary, and I'm not saying that their lives weren't transformed, but I will tell you this, we don't hear anything else about the shepherds. Now, they may have had this really cool Christmas morning experience. I mean, literally Christmas morning experience, but we don't hear anything else about them. But Mary, we do. It says that she 
soaked it all in and she just pondered it over and over and over and she thought on it over and over and over and she wouldn't let it go. That's watering and that's feeding hope. That's not letting it pass by like a a dream or a vapor or some spiritual experience that disappears as quickly as it came. There's a great story in the Bible where Jesus is 12 years old. His parents have traveled with hundreds of other people from far off places to come back to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover, as was the annual tradition. And they were now all returning to their home. And you know how it goes when you travel with family. Everybody trades cars and, and everybody kind of gets mixed up. And, but everybody's together. Everybody's looking out for each other's kids. Well, Jesus decides to chill out and hang back in Jerusalem. Everyone else is on the road. They're on the road actually for days. Kind of crappy parents, really, if you think about it. I mean, they hadn't seen Jesus in a couple days, and they discover that they've left him behind. So they have to turn around, and they go back, and they find Jesus, not buying candy, not playing in the streets, but he's sitting in the temple with experts in Scripture. Ancient Scripture of the prophets of David, of Moses, the psalmist of, 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 of Solomon who wrote the Proverbs of, of, of all ancient scripture. And Jesus is not just sitting and listening and learning. It says that he's astounding the teachers by the questions that he asks and the things that he says. Jesus is there doing really, really amazing things. And it says that they were all amazed. But listen to what it also says in Luke 2, 48 through 52. When his parents saw him, they were amazed. It was a little more nuanced with them. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Why have you been so disrespectful, so disobedient? Why would you do this? Your father and I have been worried about you. We've been looking for you everywhere. Why were you looking for me, Jesus asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they didn't understand what he meant by that. Then he went back to Nazareth with them and he obeyed them. But his mother kept all these things like a secret treasure in her heart. And Jesus became wiser and stronger. Can I tell you what happens right here is that Mary encounters hope in a way that makes her feel uncomfortable and again stretches her. It's not like Christmas morning. This is like the the hangover from Christmas. You all have Christmas hangover. I do. Christmas hangover happens on the 26th for me. I want to tear it all down. The tree, the lights, the, it's all over. I've been, I've been like living off the fumes, right? Hot boxing Christmas is what I've been doing. And just, <laughs> maybe not everybody gets that. But anyway, um, <laughs> Lisa's going to go, you really shouldn't have said that at Christmas Eve. You should have passed on that one. But uh, I just want, if you ever come back to someone, I want to kind of give you an anticipation of how it goes around here. So anyway, there's a hangover that happens where it doesn't, the, the thing that you were so excited to open up doesn't feel as magical the second time you look at it. And it's been 12 years since she's encountered an angel. And now she looks at Jesus who's challenging her hopes and dreams for what hope looks like. She now has to realize that her plans that the prescription she has for Jesus' life isn't what God, Jesus' real father, has for him. 
but she takes it in maturity and health and she lets it simmer in her heart and she treasures what she's experienced and it's difficult and it's hard and I want to tell you that you are going to have to encounter hope on a level in which you're allowing it to grow past what you think it should do in your life, when it should appear in your life, how it should be fulfilled in your life. Third and finally is this, to win the battle of letting uh, win the battle of letting all you need to do is number three, let hope change you. So whether it's a popular song or a movie or a restaurant, we all kind of approach it and we all kind of experience it differently, right? So we go out to eat a lot and um, people, and I will tell you this, we go to the same exact place Places there's like two or three places we go and we get the same exact thing. So much so that we know all the employees and we know the other regulars there, right? And this one guy, who's an, he's a trauma surgeon, he's an emergency room doctor, he sees us and he says, you need to try something new today. And I was like, you need to mind your business, my friend. Like, because, listen, I... What one person loves, I don't, he likes trying new, I don't like trying new things. I like the chicken rice bowl, no veggies with the fair oaks roll and Lisa gets the salmon. It's that eat, just leave us alone. Let us eat our plain boring stuff over and over and over again. And your kids, if you have teenagers, will put on a song in the car that they absolutely love. And you, on the other hand, want to take a rusty ice pick and just bore out your eardrums so you never have to hear the song again. How can something that sounds so amazing and so beautiful and so awesome to them sound so terrible to you? It's because we approach everything with different perspectives. And I want you to hear this. Not everybody who encounters hope sees it as hope. Some people see it as a threat to getting to continue to do things their own way. Some people love being victims. If you're a victim, it's everyone else's fault. And you don't have to take responsibility for anything in your life. If it's all being done to you, then there's nothing you can do about it. But hope calls you to something. Hope inspires you and challenges you and lifts you and turns your head from your circumstances and makes you look at a world that maybe you've been ignoring for a very long time. A world that's beyond what you can see with your own eyes and feel with your own feelings. Listen to what happens in Luke 17, 12 through 19. This is now into Jesus' ministry. He's over 30 years old and says, Jesus came into a small town and 10 men met him there, but they didn't come close to him because they all had leprosy. Now, remember that there was no treatment for leprosy. Leprosy was highly contagious. And the law required that they were, they would actually have to shout unclean to warn people not to come near them because they were religiously and medically unclean. But the men shouted, Jesus, Master, please help us. So reputation had preceded Jesus. He had never met them before, but they knew him by reputation. And when Jesus saw them, he said, go and show yourselves to the priest. Remember that the priest would, by law, determine who was clean and unclean. And they had to prove to the priest that they would no longer had leprosy, which would have been miraculous. And while the 10 men were going to the priest, they were healed in their journey to go see the 
priests, when one of them saw that he was healed, he went back to Jesus. He praised God loudly. He bowed down at Jesus' feet and he thanked him. He was a Samaritan, unclean, by the way, unclean to the Jews, an outcast, somebody who had been marginalized by the Jews. Jesus said, wait, 10 men were healed. Where are the other nine? And this man is not even one of our people. He's not even a Jew, yet he's the one who turns around and comes back. Is he the only one who came back to give praise to God? And then Jesus said to the man, stand up, you can go. You were healed because you believed. Isn't it amazing that 10 people all were given life? I mean, leprosy was a death sentence. You didn't come back from it. You gave up your family, you gave up your career, you gave up income, you gave up any relationship except with other lepers. You gave up all hope in life. And yet here they have this brief encounter with Jesus. They call out to somebody who reputationally is a healer and they're legitimately healed. All 10 of them are. He restores hope back to them. They can go back to their families. They can now have a job again. They can have their lives back, which had been lost. And only one of them was so profoundly changed by that that he turned around and he went back to the source of hope, the giver of hope, the author of hope. And he said, thank you. And this was a man who shouldn't have even recognized who Jesus was shouldn't have even believed in him. Jesus was a Jewish savior, a Jewish Messiah. And here this man is an outsider, as a broken outsider who knew nothing about the prophecies, who knew nothing about the Magi who traveled and looked to the stars to guide them to find the star of Bethlehem shining over Jesus. He knew nothing about Mary's processing and he knew nothing about the shepherds having angelic experiences. He only knew that this man said, go, you're healed. And he walked. And while he walked, literally the scabs and the sores fell off him. He was changed. Nine other men had encountered Jesus on that exact same level and they knew more about who Jesus was than he did. Yet they were unchanged by hope. Maybe because they were bitter that they ever had to have leprosy. Angry at life for treating them so unfairly. Maybe they thought, well, it's about flipping time, Jesus. Where have you been? We've heard you've been walking around doing this for years and finally you got to us. Maybe they were just too worried about what their future would look like living down the reputation of having been unclean. I don't know what was in the hearts of any of those men. What I do know is that one person demonstrates what it looks like to be changed by hope. And that is the Jesus that we're celebrating tonight. He's here. He's among us, not in the form of a little baby who we don't have much expectation or hope in because after all, what can a baby do? What can a baby say? What can a baby give to us? Nothing. Except the idea that hope surprises us. 
And like a baby, hope grows in us and we patiently wait on hope to be fulfilled. And, and then hope, if we let it, if we let it, it changes us. And we leave this place right now completely different. We're gonna do something. We're gonna just sing Silent Night. And we're gonna go through it once and then I'm gonna come back to you in just a minute and I'm gonna ask you to do something with your candles. So I want you to grab them into your hand and make sure they're in the off position, just like a good natural normal candle is in the off position. Would you stand to your feet though and let's sing this song together. if they will to make their way up here and if their spouses are available they can join as well some of our teams working but that's Lisa and Pastor Dan, Teresa, Jess, Heather's here. Now I'm going to ask you to do something. If this year you experienced heartbreaking news on a personal level I want you to light your candle just turn it like that if you received a diagnosis that has stretched you and caused fear in you I want you to light your candle if you've encountered pain with a relationship, a relative, a spouse, a pain that has been incredibly hard to come back from and you're not back yet, I want you to light that candle. If your faith in God has suffered and been tried and tested and maybe it's more wounded and more depleted than it's ever been before, go ahead and light your candle. If your hope in people, in our culture, in society, in politics, in the future, if you're losing hope in that, go ahead and light your candle. 
And I want you to keep those lit and keep those up for just a moment. We're going to sing this one more time. And then I'm going to come back one more time. candle is lit here and that's because some of you have encountered hope you've let hope grow you're experiencing hope and here's what I want to ask you to do I want to ask you to share hope if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ let's do it this way if in the last year you've begun a relationship with Christ for the first time would you light your candle and lift it up now, for those who have renewed a relationship with Christ, you've walked away, but you're back. And it feels good to be in a relationship with him again. Would you light that candle and lift it up? For those who are already walking in a relationship with Jesus Christ, and you know the hope, you know the hope of putting your faith and trust in him, would you light your candle and put that up? Now I want to ask this last question. If you'd be willing to be a messenger of hope to somebody tonight, tomorrow, in the next few days who are up against the battles that I just talked about and a dozen other unimaginable fights that we'll go into, not just with family and friends and not just with the news and social media, but real fights, fights for health and fights for marriages and fights to restore hope in our lives. If you'll say, I want to be a messenger of God's hope in somebody's life, I want you to light your candle and lift it up. And I want us to sing it one more time together. facing hopelessness or they'll be a messenger of hope that tonight those two camps become one that those who are experiencing and letting hopelessness cover their minds and hearts that they would decide tonight to let hope surprise them to let hope grow in them and to let hope change them in a way that they can never come back from that hope 
is the filter through which they see their future, their marriage, their finances, their health, their life. But not just hope in people and not just hope in medicine and not hope in better politics and not hope in nicer people, but hope in you. You are the author, the finisher. You're the creator and the giver of hope. And I pray above all things, we turn to you tonight. In Jesus' name, let's sing it one last time. out of this room. As a matter of fact, we don't want you to carry this out of this room because we're going to need it again. But you can take the light of hope. You see, if we turned off all the lights in this room, you can't imagine how brightly these burn. If we covered up every window and every source of light and you were the only one holding the candle, if every other candle was extinguished, can I tell you where everybody would go to because you're the one with light and you are going into a dark room but I want to tell you this this is not bright enough to change the world that we'll go into tonight but you with the hope of Christ are so if you will extinguish this flame and pray in Jesus name that a fire burns so bright in you that everyone in this dark world turns to you to say what makes you different and you get to proudly unabashedly, boldly say, nothing about me is different than you except that I have hope in Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.